ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Teams. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. Hi, I'm Leonard Duncan, host of ATV Talk. We hope you enjoyed episode one. Episode two is with Danny Prather, multi-time score and best in the desert champion. Please enjoy. Danny, I'd like to welcome you to ATV Talk Podcast. Uh-huh. Um, Thanks, Danny. You know, I really appreciate you coming out and talking to us. No problem. And um, appreciate it. Good to be here, man. Thank you. Well, no problem. Thanks for having it's me good. down. It's great to have you. Uh, you know, you're going to, I'm going to want you to stop in uh, again, you okay. know, because I guarantee in this time we have, we're not going to get to cover everything. Yeah. It's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of miles, huh? We're just going to talk about Danny Prather and, <laughs> and who Danny Prather is, where Danny Prather comes from. All right. You know, just a little bit about Danny Prather. You know, right. there's, there's people out there that know who you are, but they want to know who you are. Okay. Not just the racer, Danny. <laughs> um, not the guy that won, I'm not even sure how many best in the desert championships or score titles. Uh, so two score and six um, best in the desert pro quads. All right. Six in a row on the best in the desert. That was, that's pretty, that's pretty. And I can't claim it all by myself. You know, I teach good team, being a part of a good team and, and, uh, I was a fill-in rider for the first two for Best in the Desert when uh, Nick Granlin broke his leg. Uh, both years he had issues and had surgeries as was in and out. So I ended up filling in for him in 09 uh, on the scat track was my first year. Oh, nice. Like first championship of Best in the Desert. But nice. You know how it goes. You race for 20 years. You get <laughs> you get a, you get you get a, a, Nick get a handful. Again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and you've had your fair share of, uh, of get-offs. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. So, Danny, tell me, tell the listeners, how did you get into off-road racing and where did you grow up? Uh, pretty much, you know, growing up in El Cajon, Sandy, Lakeside area, uh, just being surrounded in this area with local pros and shops like Duncan Racing and Alba and different local guys, you know. Uh, but pretty much I got started as a young, about four years old. My, my dad got me a, a little TRX-70. And we started going to the desert and uh, he was racing three wheelers at the time. And my grandfather raced, uh, in the early, late sixties, he was an AMA champion and won, uh, Zane Prather. Uh, yeah, my grandpa Zane, he, he's a good old time racer and he, uh, didn't he ride a TT 500? Yeah. Yeah. He rode, rode a Husqvarna for factory Husqvarna. He rode on the factory Honda team in the, I think 96, 95. Or maybe, maybe it was 94, actually. Jimmy Brown uh, yeah. just refurbished his Husky, Yeah, correct? yeah, yeah. Yes. He just rebuilt his old his old uh, Husky, and, man, he did a killer job. Jimmy does such a good job hey, on those bikes. Guy. He's so meticulous, you know, and he, he kind of built it back the way it was when my grandpa raced it. So it was really cool to see, you know, that bike come, a lot, come to life again from being in a shed for 30 years or however long it was, you know. Uh, it was cool to see Jimmy bring it back, but... So yeah, my grandpa raced. So I grew up down in Baja, you know, going to just fun rides with the Matlocks and all my dad's friends, just going San Quentin runs and chasing my dad around when he would race. I always just wanted to do it, you know, and I was 
um, started racing when I was 15 up at Barona Speedway. Uh, my dad got, got me, uh, one of his parts bikes that I just built out of shambles, his stock 250R. And, uh, it was a great, great time, you know, learned, learned a lot racing around with local pros. And you raced some District 38 here yeah. in Southern California. Yeah. Didn't you? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I started down there. My first race was when I was 16. Um, and I, it was pretty cool. In my first race, my dad loaned me his race bike and, uh, you know, I had suspension and big desert Lance Shoemaker tank on it and everything. And, um, I pulled the whole shot somehow and led to like the first checkpoint. And I thought I was lost, but I was by myself. I was out front. I thought I was, was just lost, you know, <laughs> and, uh, here comes Greg Rowe ripping by me, you know, and, uh, and I finally realized I had gotten a really good start. So I hung with him for a while around the first two laps. And then another, I think it was uh, Mark Spath got by me on the last lap. So I ended up third overall and first amateur in my first desert race. Which was, was, I was stoked. I was hooked, you know, from there on, I just, I loved racing quads and just being around, you know, my dad racing quads just helped me with the relationships. With, well, you uh, said your dad started in the three wheeler era. Yeah. Yeah. And then rolled into the, into the quads. Yeah. He, he raced, uh, Takati three wheelers, you know, all the Hondas back in the 86, 87, you know, until the TRX came out and then he started racing with Cliff Matlock and Greg Rowe and, and doing Baja and stuff. And he actually won, they won the championship score series in 91 and 92 back to back and they won the 500 and the thousand. And so that just really I always looked up to those guys, you know, and just had so much, um, respect for, for what they did and, and just really enjoyed those long distance riding and not no, more or less just being on the bike for hours at a time. I just really enjoyed the adventure of it and just pushing yourself and the high speed desert yeah, is, high speed. is more where your yeah, skill exactly. set came from because that's right. what you learned how to ride. Yeah, I grew up down there, you know, in Glamis and superstition area, Alcatia Wales, just riding. So it just was a good, uh, good introduction to that form of racing. What for me was, my wheelhouse for just growing up. So did you spend your early career racing score first or best uh, in the yeah. desert first? I actually, my, Greg Rowe invited me to race in 1996, the Bob 500. I was 16 and, uh, I, I rode from Borrego all the way back up through San, uh, Ojos Negro into, into the finish line. And, uh, the bike blew up right when it got to me. So we had to work on the bike and, you know, change the, change the piston and cylinder out. So right when I got on the bike, my very first race, I was right in the middle of the trophy trucks, you know, like, and back when it was buggies. easy to rebuild the two-stroke <laughs> yeah, on yeah, the yeah. course. Yeah, you could rebuild it in 30 minutes at a pit, you know, just sand the piston down, whatever you got to do to get it back going. And, uh, well, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's all about getting to the finish line. You know? Yeah. And that was, I've always had a mentality, just get into the finish, no matter what it took, you know. So we, I, I that my first ride down to Mexico, you know, I, I raced, we were in second place in our class. I think we ended up fifth overall or something, but uh, it was a good time. As long Pretty as you had time. a great time, it, yeah. it hooked you. Yeah, it hooked me for sure. You know. So, when did so. you start getting your own team going? Um, well, let's see. Um, you know, me and w Wayne Matlock kind of did a privateer thing uh, through Alba Racing. Um, was kind of our first team, and on the 250R, we raced District 38 at all the team races and stuff. So I was kind of did did more or less chasing Alan White around district 38 for about four years, you know, and, and, uh, doing all those races. And then, um, uh, I raced 
got got an invitation from Greg Rowe to race for the Bombardier team with uh, him and uh, Wayne Matlock and Dean Sundahl. Uh, we raced in 2001. That was pretty much our first, like, really big team, you know, as far as factory effort and backing and, and right and a that, budget that got you going in in the Baja thing. Yeah, yeah. So when you <clears throat> raced Baja, what was your preferred machine? Um, I really always liked the 250R just because that's what we like, we originally started on. It was so light and it was just real easy to work on and uh, pretty reliable as long as you didn't hit the silt beds too hard. But um, the DS650 was great, but by far the best bike down there was the TRX450 was my favorite bike, you know, just all around power and just really, really reliable and and you got to ride a 700 XX for yeah, a while too. Yeah, yeah, for Honda in uh, 2008. Um, after we won the championship in 06 and 07 down there in Baja and uh, Score, and um, so Honda had given us some support and given us bikes in, through Temecula Motorsports. But in 2008, they we we were on the factory team with Wayne Matlock as our teammate, and um, it was a great bike. It was a great program. Got to work with Bruce Ogilvie, which is a legend in AT, you know any kind of racing, off-road racing yeah. period. Yeah, and he was really just a great mentor to have, and and I learned so much in a short time I had with you know we spent together. But uh, just the R and D and the amount of uh, effort that goes into testing and proving a part before you race it and proving a bike before you race it. And just that, uh, organization and the, and just all the, you know, uh, the preparation, the preparation. Yeah. And, and just all the, all the pre-running stuff. to packing the truck, right? Yeah. Exactly. Not, not yeah. only prepping the machine correctly. Yeah. Just, pre-running and just, yeah. Just having all of your, having the bike prepped correctly, all the right parts in the truck. And you just, can do the bike correctly, but if you don't load the truck, right. Or if you don't get to the pit correctly, you're yeah, not going to make it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it was a whole new level for me, but there was a lot of pressure to, to win, you know, with, with we had the number one plate went that year and uh with a brand new bike coming out honda really wanted to win and they they really wanted one of us either our team or wayne matlock's team to win and uh so we we did a lot of prep a lot of testing um a lot of trial and error and I, we had the bike working great i i thought it was a really great comfortable bike you know just for long distance you could sit down and i think that's why that bike's done so well in dakar you know it's just a good horsepower, good powertrain, and it's comfortable it's, to ride. It is a it is a great machine. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't work as well in Dakar as the Raptor the Raptor seven hundred, but right. it does work well. Yeah, I got to work on one down there in two thousand thirteen in Dakar, and right. and other than having to change a lot of clutches and a lot of axles, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. when you have a motocross guy riding your Dakar bike, it doesn't oh, yeah. really work. He's but, hard on that. Hey, yeah, he's hard on the clutch. Right, <laughs> he's hard on the machine too, but hard on the clutch mostly. Yeah, we've had teammates like that too. That you know, some guys just override the bike or. And uh, we were always, and I learned that with Bruce too, is, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link, especially in prep and and your teammates and just everything, you know, everybody's got to be on the same page and want it as bad as you, or, you know, just if, if, if they don't believe they can win, it affects the rest of the team. Well, I spoke to uh, PT2, Paul Turner, Mm -hmm. um, and he said that if your team's not clicking, generally you're not going to win. Yeah. 
Yeah. You and, have and I kind of agree with him. You know, you got to have that. Everything's just, even when it's a negative, it's a positive because everybody just moves yeah. right over, takes yeah. up the slack, makes it happen, right. gets it fixed. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It makes it fun. If you can get along with your teammates and, and your, and your sponsors and everybody and just have a good relationship with everybody, it makes it so much easier. And well, we kind of, we kind of just off. missed each other in, in Baja because I started working with Craig Christie in 2009 down in Baja. Right. And you were phasing your way out and I was bringing myself in. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 2009 with the economy crash down here in Southern California really affect our businesses up here. And uh, so we, we kind of took a little break kind of just from Baja, uh, all the team after um, Bruce Ogilvy died in, in 2009. And so we, uh, just kind of took it easy for a little bit. And I really wanted to get a Baja team together. And uh, I was working on it. Me and Josh Rowe were talking about putting together a team. And um, it just, the sponsorships weren't there. Everybody was hurting. All of our sponsors were, you know, I mean, we had. I mean, 2008 to 2015, you know, 16 was a rough year yeah, for the Yeah, it was, it was tough. I mean, everybody, everybody got hit really hard. And, um, didn't pull out all the way, but everybody cut back and, you know, and it was, it, maybe we're getting free product, but we weren't getting, uh, you know, uh, sponsorship endorsements for the, yeah, you got to get money to go with the yeah, product yeah, to, to, to get, pay the bills. Right. You know, just to even get to the races is, is really expensive, especially in Mexico, you know, when you, to win and for us to go win, you have to be down there for a week or two weeks and pre-running. And I don't you know, believe so. that anybody that doesn't race doesn't have any understanding of how much it really costs. Oh yeah, I mean you spend as much as you want. You know, I mean, I think uh, our first year with the Bombardier team, I think we got like a hundred thousand dollars or something to go race for the season, and that was covering bikes, hotels, everything. And I mean, it wasn't even close to it. It wasn't that, but you know, when you go with that much effort and you have that many people on the team and, and, uh, you know, it's not that much, but uh, it helped. It helped. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It <laughs> was a step up from a two fifty R in the back of my orange van. You know what well, I mean? <laughs> there you go. I mean, and, it's, uh, it's always, it wasn't that orange van your dad's. Yeah. Yeah. It was my grandfather's van. They bought it. He ordered it. Caltrans orange, you know, and he just loved that thing and I had windows everywhere. And I loved it because I could fit my quad in the back. I could fit a, I could fit a uh, queen size air up mattress, my easy up, my toolbox. So that was like my D38 San Felipe wagon. I would stay in that thing and just go, go chasing, you know, all these races around and you're doing 12, 10, 12 to 20 races a year. It's just nice to have something you can sleep in and, and just, you know. Well, that around. sleeping and, and eating and, and being <laughs> comfortable so that you're not sore or, yeah. or overtired makes a difference. For sure. Especially if you have to ride a, a 50 mile section or a 200 mile section yeah. because somebody didn't make it to the pit, which, which does oh, happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or if you run out of gas and have to push. Yeah. Or run one time, uh, I think it was 2007, uh, Ba 1000. Uh, Dana Creech gave the bike to Mike Caffro and Mike got on it and it was spitting and sputtering, you know, and it wasn't running right. It, could, it was acting like it was running out of gas. Well, the float bowl was stuck open. So it kept draining, you know, draining the kept. fuel and just pumped all the fuel out. And he ran out of fuel like, I don't know, five miles before the next pit or something. Oh, wow. So he ran in his boots. He ended up taking his gear off and just running in boots. So here's this dude in his riding shorts just ripped running down the race course to try to get fuel and somehow got 
got a got it got back to the bike got fueled up we lost like an hour hour of time you know throughout and oh i believe it all the lead guys checked out you know so we were back to sixth or seventh place by that point and it was early on and and uh but you never give up you know mike never gave up he never he did wouldn't accept that we we're gonna run out of gas and that's it you know like you gotta do what you gotta do and he's a pretty savvy guy down yeah. there oh yeah for you sure know. yeah he's he he's knows a wily old fox yeah he's the desert fox yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i i haven't worked with mike very much uh, like obviously we've chewed a lot of same dirt and, yeah and had similar riders or riders that swap teams and you know mm-hmm. got to spend some time together right uh, he's a formidable opponent and, oh, yeah. and, and, a, and a and an asset as a as a friend in the sure. pits if you need something. oh yeah yeah he's a great dude and we had a great time i had a, such a great time racing with mike and i think uh, i raced with him for temecki motorsports for about eight nine years or so and and we've been friends since you know we've always stayed close but i learned a lot from him as far as preparation and just you know all the um the stuff that goes into getting a team together and getting it you know what that to that level of winning a race you know it really takes a lot of effort so well yeah there's just so much more into it you can never be prepared enough yeah as i was prepping machines and loading the truck uh, I always show up with more than I need mm-hmm. because if you leave that one part at yeah. home, that's the part you need. <laughs> if you have it, you will not need it. <laughs> and that's all I always look. We always looked at that too. You know, when we would carry these 50 pound backpacks, you know, we'd have every, I'd have a spare stator or a spare piston when the 250R days, right. I mean, rings, whatever, sandpaper, whatever you got to carry to get your bike to the finish line, you know? So we always had heavy, heavy packs and it was, uh, I always got grief from all the other team, you know, they'd be like, how can you carry this? And I just, you know, if you have it, you won't need it. Or, you know, at least if you, you can MacGyver something out of whatever you've got. So the more you can carry. Well, I come from the mechanic side of it into the racing. I I always loved riding. I love to test. I got a chance to race some. And when I got to race best of the desert, you know, they gave you an instruction. You have to have all these things. And then, and then, Guys like you and other desert racers that knew me, you know, kind of took me under their wing and said, hey, if you're going to be out there with us, you need to have these yeah, things, yeah. you know, and, and I'm thinking, all right. So, yeah. yeah, I had a 50 pound pack that dwindled its way down, yeah, you, you know, throughout the time, uh, you know, especially when you're prepping your own bike and you know yeah. what you, your machine yeah, will I carry, won't this. <laughs> you know, what your machine will carry. Yeah. Right. And, and, and what you can carry. Yeah. I kind of split it up and that it, we started doing that later on, you know, is putting more on the bike instead of on us, you know, and having a little pack or having, you know, getting tactical with our preparation on what, what we could carry on the bike versus on our back. Cause maybe one guy would carry something that the next guy won't and you need it, you know, like, you know, so we started carrying chain breakers and different things on the bike versus in our pack, the light in our load. And, and that, that helped out a lot. And it, and it's always on the bike unless somebody crashes and then it fall, you lose the pack or something. But well, uh, our quality of our chain has gotten better. Yeah. Quality of our skid plates has gotten For better. Sure. Quality yeah. of our, our technology and building skid plates. Yeah. And then our riders have gotten smarter. So they don't just blast through the rocks at 100 miles an hour yes, yeah. and, and, and destroy, destroy skid plates <laughs> and, and sprockets and chain. Right. 
Yeah, you know, the bikes have came a long way, but in a lot of ways they're similar, you know, so a lot of the R&D, especially the TRX 450, you know, it's pretty much been the same since 06, 07. So uh, a lot of the same parts have worked, you know, or gotten better as they've developed, you know. Well, your transition from your 250R, when you work with Honda, Honda parts are Honda parts. Yeah, yeah, the wheels all work and just a lot of... Your brake caliper bolts are all the same. Right. You know, there's other parts that are the same that rolled over from the 250R. So you may have had that old part from your 250R that works on your 450R. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> we <laughs> we buy one. We raced the YFZ 450 in 04 and uh, we put all Honda hubs on it. So we could use all our Honda wheels and everything from over the years, you know, just to scat track made these titanium Honda bolt pattern hubs. So it worked out really well. We were able to save a lot of, uh, Headache, with headache. The yeah, just yeah. changing everything over. So. Yeah, I raced with uh, Cycle Parts West, mm-hmm. uh, the Rocky Crew, Golden West Cycle, and, oh, and you know Duncan, the Duncan team, and, and uh, I had a Yamaha, and everybody else had Hondas. Uh-huh. So you got four Hondas and a Yamaha, and we <laughs> tried some Honda rear hubs so that at least we had one set of wheels. The yeah, same as yeah, everybody, and we blew the hubs up on the first oh, race. Oh, really? And went back to the factory went back to the factory yamaha hub and yeah, it's ran, hard to break put a <laughs> put a, a roll of tape or a, a to mark strip your tire. of tape around the center of the tire and um just did it that way because it just worked yeah back before we had tire balls or back before we had any inserts right it, it was yeah. just air in the tires and you just had to deal with it yeah and when you're back this Back when you'd get, you know, 10, 15 flats per race, <laughs> you know, and oh, you just had to have tires everywhere and just cover, cover your bases, you know. I, I think one year <laughs> we went through 22 tires in one race. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. just horrible. And that's a lot of money people don't understand, too. Like, I mean, if you're buying wheels and tires, that's thousands of th- Thousands of dollars, you know, oh, that you're bringing great, down. I, I had a great sponsor in ITV. Yeah, they gave yeah. us all new tires, but <laughs> right. oh man, 22 yeah. tires, <laughs> you know, five minutes on it, you know, the, the tits are still on the rubber and <laughs> yeah, it's got a hole it. in the sidewall, you know, I'm done. Give that one away. Yeah. yeah. Even with tire balls, we'd still bring 20 tire, 30 tires just to have because you never know, especially in Mexico, where, where you're going to need it, you know, uh, where the trucks are going to be and what. Wh- you might have to change tires just because they're bald at a certain point and having, having tires where you need them is, uh, is the hardest. Your part insert too. technology got so much better at the, at the end, mm-hmm. you, you get to where you could care less and like carry less and less, especially up here in best in the desert in Nevada. Yeah. You, oh, you yeah. don't have to have as much in Baja. Yes. Everybody had to have tires. Everybody had to have yeah. parts. Yeah. Uh, I used to build pit boxes for the Chris, Craig Christie team. And <laughs> oh man, you just, you can never get enough parts in those boxes. I know. Yeah. You got, it's hard, especially you get with two trucks or something and i I really liked best in the desert because it was two guys two trucks and it was really kind of leveled the playing field as far as uh you know it didn't matter how many trucks you had how many big of a team you were you were only as strong as that those two guys you know and and throughout that day whereas you know baja you could have up to five riders or something and and in the pro class and you probably have more than that but uh you know just I always liked Best of the Desert because it was more of a, you, each rider got to ride longer and have have a better no pre running. Yeah, no pre running. Cool. <laughs> it's just scary at times, especially the start of the race, heading into the sun or you know into the dust and stuff. That it would get a little tricky, but 
brings your skill level up and your intensity. Yeah. Up. Yeah. You know, I, I'll never forget just watching Doug Eichner just ripping past me through the dust, like in 06 or one of those years, best in the desert. I mean, he was just a nut in the dust. Like I've never seen somebody be able to hang on like, like he could through the he, dust. He always told me he could see. Yeah. He had x-ray vision or something, man. He was just like, I mean, he on a whole other level, just the whole other gear, just gone through the dust. I mean, it didn't matter how hard we were riding. He was just shredding through the dust. And But, but from what I hear, you know, through the rumor mill, you got there at the later stag- stages <laughs> of your best in the desert career. Yeah. I mean, we were definitely <laughs> stepping it up. It was the first or last mentality, you know, uh, trying to just go win races and, and, uh, you know, worry about Monday. You know, if you, if you go back in, into the days and you talk about the really fast guys, you know, it, we won't go back too far, but you know, Matlock came for, for sure. a while. Yeah. You know, uh, Eichner was king for a while. Long time. You definitely had your heyday time where you were the fastest sure. guy around. So, I mean, you, you have a, you have a, name that that goes alongside some of the greats oh i appreciate it i mean we definitely had a good run but you know just i give a lot of credit to my sponsors and just good products and good people that we involved ourselves with and my teammates you know i mean well, you we worked hard. Strong, Don't sell yourself teams. short. You know, I mean, Dave Scott was one of your teammates. Yeah. He was oh, a yeah. good dude. He was a yeah. good rider. For sure. Uh, yeah. Dude. He, I, he worked with me for quite yeah. a few years as well. Yeah. He came from, from racing for you and kind of, we kind of talked him into riding with me that which, next year. In which was, 2011. A, which, which was a benefit to you. Oh yeah. He was yeah. a strong racer. I mean, I raced against him for a few years, you know, and, uh, watching him come up through racing with Christy and, and, uh, Craig and, and, uh, you know, best in the desert. He raced with Jeremy and, uh, he, he was fast. I chased him through the desert enough times to know that, Hey, I'd rather have you on my team than race against you, you know? And, uh, because him and Jeremy Sanchez had won yes. uh, a, a championship. 08. Yeah. I think they won yeah, it. Oh, cha- yep. So, um, yeah, no nine. I think, uh, I was racing for, for scat track with Greg Stewart and, um, so just, I chased him in 08 and 09, you know, with on the scat track team, but we ended up winning the championship 09 and 2010, um, on his 650 quad, which is pretty, pretty wild bike. That, right. That Lager, full Lager, uh, XR650 quad. And that was pretty much the fastest bike I've ever been on. But, um, you know, it, it was Ken just put a lot of effort into that bike, which there was a lot of money spent on that. Yeah. Machine. Yeah. For sure. It was kind of goes back to dollars do matter when yeah. you're racing. Oh, yeah. Especially on a custom bike, you know, where you can take that to a whole new level. I mean, he was taking these, uh, XR650 engines and drilling out oil passages and, and like, just fully on forensics on the cranks and seeing where things were getting hot and where, you know, he was putting magnets in the motor and trying to catch debris that would come off the tranny. I mean, he was just super uh, detailed on every little aspect of it. And so they had some struggles with that bike, at least the first few years it was built, you know, just reliability and just kind of going through the problems with it. And then I was fortunate enough to ride it when they kind of had their bugs worked out and we won the first championship on that bike, you know, with, with Greg and, and a really great family of people that first got track. They're all good people. And it was real fun to race with them for the few years, you know, that I did. So when you go back and you start thinking of some of the guys that you got to race with, who sticks out in your mind the most? 
Um, man, I know I've raced with some really great people, you know, being, um, I, I raced with Wayne Matlock, uh, Dean Sundahl, Greg Rowe, uh, David Scott, Mike Caffro, you know, just so many, so many people that are real great riders. But, uh, you know, me and Mike have always been really close and good friends. And, and now he's racing UTVs and through tire balls, I'm working with him and doing some stuff. And, and so we've, I've stayed close with all of them, probably closer to Mike than most, but, um, you know, you get to, you get to those friendships and, and you get those relationships and you've been through things that, yeah, that yeah. you don't, uh, normal people don't understand when you, right. when you're sweating and bleeding and, and working that hard for a specific yeah. goal. Yeah. And uh, yeah, people don't understand it. You know, I mean, it's, you have to dig so deep and you're, so, and you get so invested in winning a ra- or just trying to go to a race and, and to try to win it, you know, it's, it takes so much out of you, you know, that you try to, you have these people around you. It's like, you know, the best way to describe it is like the military guys. I think, you know, when they go overseas and they have that, you know what I mean? That brotherhood, you know, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, where these guys were while you're together. I mean, you're just, we're not in battle, really close. But, but it's, yeah. it's, it's our battle. Yeah. It's, and you're on the radio and you're trying to talk to each other and leapfrog and the logistics of everything so far ahead, you know, it's not just the race, you know, we would get me, Mike and Levi and, and Marcus Baith. We'd all, and, and Joe Graves, you know, he, yeah, Joe, Graves. Joe Graves, that guy, he's a great pit dude. Great pit dude. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I know, I know you guys worked with him yep. through golden West in the first few years of the yeah, Honda he was my stuff. Me- he was that. my mechanic, believe it or not. I had a mechanic. He was my yeah. pit guy I mean, for the, for the couple years that I raced best in the desert. He really stepped up our, our game. I mean, we, we brought, he came on board with us in 2006 and we had been seconds and thirds and t- um, every race, me and Mike, you know, we'd been racing for like six years and hadn't won anything, you know? And, uh, so we were always the bridesmaid <laughs> at the races, but when Joe came on board, I mean, he brought our logistics up to a whole new level. I mean, he got our communication together. He got all our pits organized and just everyone really clicked with Joe. And, uh, Joe was just such a big inspiration to us to go do well. And we didn't want to let him down. You know, he felt like because <laughs> that guy worked his, he worked, worked his ass death. off. Yeah. I mean, you know? he would, he would put in so much time. All the, all the guys that would go with us were all volunteers, you know, and a lot of them, you know, some of them got paid, but most of them are volunteers taking time off work to go fulfill our dreams, you know, of winning a race and, and they're involved so much, you know, that it's part of their, their, their life dream too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but they're living it with you. It's from their side, their spot. They get to go and tell the story to their friends and their family. Hey, I was a part of this. This was, this was a great moment in ATV history. And I was there. I, I, you know, I changed the tire (laughs) that got us to the finish line. Yeah. You know, He chased and drove the truck and, and got us to the pit or whatever it is. You know, I mean, there's, and that's kind of, that's, we owe a lot to those guys. You know what I mean? That do that. And you, that, you know, you, you know how that goes, helping the riders in the nationals and just how much support goes into getting a rider to win a race. You know, it's, it's, uh, you become a a counselor, you become a friend. (laughs) Yeah. You become a nursemaid. You you become everything. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. And, and, and those riders become very special people to you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can see that. I know we felt that with Joe and just all of our sponsors that we got so close with. I mean, I had a lot of the same products that you guys raced with and we worked along, you know, with Elka and Roll Design and uh, Maxis and Douglas Wheel, all those guys that we worked so long with it. Uh, it's just real special to give them a win when you could win a race or do well, you know, it just, it felt really good to pay back to all the people that would help you. And, and just, we would always really focus on treating everybody good down there and, and at the races and making sure everybody had a good time. And, um, but getting it done on race day, you know, you always got to get it done on race day. <laughs> yeah. So. so when you start thinking back and you start memorizing, memorializing, can't even talk, <laughs> sorry. Some of these races, which one sticks out? Probably the 2006 Ball 500, you know, um, that you didn't was, even hesitate. No, that was, I mean, I just saw a picture of my grandpa that he had a, he had a picture of me and Mike Caffro and my dad and my grandpa all at the finish line of Ball 500 that year. And, uh, it was just so special. I had Ricky Stater, uh, Richard Simpkins chased the whole race with me and my dad and my grandpa was, you know, and, and we went through the ups and downs of the race of being back and being in fourth, third place, and then coming back and chasing. And Wayne had a really good ride that year. He was um, out front for most of the race. And so we were back in the back chasing him. And uh, so I had that last ride from Ojos to Ensenada and uh, it was, you know, like 30, 40 miles or so. And I got on the bike and I was like 50 seconds down. And I just, I knew we had, like, I had to dig deep, you know, and, and those guys were just such like inspiration for me just in life, you know, but to have them at my pit at that time. People that were super important to yeah, you in your yeah, life. Yeah. Just so, I mean, it was just surreal, you know, like they were all pumping me up and you got this and you, and just that positive, you know, I don't know how I rode that hard in that last 30 miles to make up. I mean, it's not a lot of time, but when you're chasing a great rider like Wayne or, you know, Doug or something like that to make up 50 seconds is a lot. To make 50 yeah. seconds you know, on that And he's lot. riding his ass you're off. You're doing so, something. So, you know, it was, it was really cool. And I could just hear them all on the radio going in, you know, we had Temecula Motorsports helicopter chasing us back in and, and I, everybody was just pumping me up. And, uh, I just, you know, that one stands out. Cause that was like, we just had a, in San Felipe 250 that year, we had a, I took a wrong line around three poles and, and got, <laughs> we ended up getting dock time. We won the race, but after, since I missed a check, I would say Wayne Matlock, you know, I mean, him or Josh Frederick, uh, you know, we're, I chased Josh through Nevada desert for a long 10 years, you know, uh, but Wayne and I have kind of battled for most of my ATV career, you know, just back and forth. He kind of stayed down in Baja, but, uh, when I was racing, winning up in Besson Desert, but, um, you know, I, I'd have to say it's, it's between those two guys, Josh Fredericks and Wayne. Josh, yeah. they're both fierce yeah. competitors. And Josh, both he, that great guy, champions in their oh, own yeah. right. Yeah. They were really talented. Um, they're great dudes. They all had really good support. You know, they knew how to get with factory teams and, and have like the top <laughs> better bikes than us at times, you know. Um, but it was really special when we could, we could hang with them or, or, you know, just do well. We got, we got along with them really well. And, uh, but. Josh Fredericks rode Baja and best in the desert. Yeah. So you had to face him in both. Yeah. Arenas. And he was my teammate. We, 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 we raced together at Temecula Motorsports the early years, 04 and 05. And, uh, he won in 05. He won both 
best of the desert and score. And, uh, we, we, we did a lot of, you know, as a team thing, you know, we were doing well at a race and we kind of would help him, you know, he, he was in the points and we weren't. So we did. You, you know. always give that nod to your yeah, yeah, teammate you know, that has the points. Exactly. You know, it's a bigger picture as a team trying to, trying to support the, the main team and keep the sponsors hat. Uh, not everybody understands that. Why would you give up a win or why would you, yeah, give up I, I wouldn't say or? we gave up a win, but we definitely, you know, we helped you him. helped uh, yeah understand. we gave him parts or you know whatever but josh is a great dude and a great competitor and uh, that guy really knew how to ride a bike i mean i've watched that guy i chased him through the desert in t- let's see 2013 2013 uh or vegas torino he broke his foot peg off he's riding on one one put foot peg and i chased him for like 150 miles i was just like stalking him and i could not I could, I could get to his dust and I could not get through his dust. You know, it was just one of those things where you get him and then it would just, you know, plume up and I couldn't see and I'd have to back up and, and then I'd watch him just check out, you know, and, re, and I'd re, kind of reel him back in. And we did that for 150 miles. And, and um, then you found out he had no foot pick. Yeah. So then I come through the pit and he pulls over just like nothing, you know, like. He's just, I looked down, I looked down at his bike and he, should, he lifted his leg up and his foot peg's gone. Half of his frame was missing, but the guy was an animal and that was his nickname, the animal, you know, and he, he was that guy. Uh, he could hold on a bike that through the whoops that, I mean, his feet could be dangling off the back, but he'd be wide open through the whoops. I don't know if it was 2002 or 2003 that we did the Nevada 150 and I beat oh, yeah, him to the yeah. finish line. <laughs> One of my few podiums in Best in the Desert. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can see the disgust on his face when he realized <laughs> who beat him to the finish line. <laughs> on a Raptor? Uh, I beat him on a Raptor 660. And he was uh-huh. riding a 250 yeah. Granted, I had more HP than he yeah. did, but oh, no. I didn't have the well, skill set. you're a good rider, man. Good bike and good rider. And I great, wouldn't say great, I'm a good rider. Oh, I'm a great just, rider. Good man. enough. I remember chasing you, too. So, 2001, Vegas 1000. That was a great race too. That was a memorable race for us too. Cause it, I raced with Wayne on the DS650 and you were with Alan White, right? On the, I was with uh, John Gregory. John Gregory. On the 660 on Raptor. On the 660. Yeah. And it was that three day rally. Yep. And, uh, that was, that was a cool format. Those are really cool races. You know, you know, they impound the bike at night and you kind of only have an hour or whatever it is to work on the bike. So it, really is an adventure and your your all your crew gets to kind of be involved because it's a chasing you know and you're camping in between and it's just a that was a cool event but what, I, you know, I would have to say that the best races i've ever done uh vegas torino and pontevu yeah pontevu uh, that looked like a great race i've always it's wanted to go to that passing but. 101 yeah <laughs> even if you're not a fast guy mm-hmm. you're still passing somebody every lap every lap lapper or or a new guy right? yeah, yeah just somebody you're just passing somebody yeah it was just the greatest experience mm-hmm. i mean I'm, I'm very blessed to do have done the things that oh, i've yeah. done yeah but there again i don't think i've ever got to a danny prather level or uh, Duncan Racing, man. I don't have a shop with uh, 100 quads in it and ready to, you know, build and build the stuff. But uh, hey, listen, you guys, you guys are legends and I've always respected Duncan Racing and just everything with you guys. Uh, but that's not what this is about. This but, is about uh, you. No, I appreciate talk it. About you. I, not, not, no. not the place that I work. Well, hey, but you work there, but it's part of your life, you know. And, oh, ATVs are my life, dude. I, I, I wouldn't do this if I didn't love it so much. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to sit down and have conversations conversations with with people i respected and and 
you know, there's people in the industry that maybe I don't see eye to eye with, but I still respect them because they're yeah. doing what I love. Right. You know, one yeah. of them is your sponsor. I you know. know. Yeah. Uh, Alan Knowles. You yeah. know, he's been around a long time. He's yeah. well respected. He's sure. won his fair share of championships and done some some good things in the ATV industry. For and sure. you cannot look away from that or or discount it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah, he and he was a big big supporter of ours for a long time. I mean, he he really stepped up for us, you know, and built reliable stuff and and you know to chase you guys down and the Golden West team, you know, it took a lot of uh reliable parts and you know, we definitely he was he helped me out a lot, you know, more than just uh engine builder. He was, you know, one of our biggest supporters chasing with us and uh doing that, so uh, yeah, you always seen him out at the de- best in the desert race. Yeah, he, he yeah, loved he was, going there and Baja. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've seen him on the side of the road, you know, cheering me on, ripping by, you know, or or at a pit, you know, and always willing to give a hand with us. And um, you know, it, it, it was a great relationship we've had, and we I raced with him for. Uh, probably 10 years, 11 years, you know. And Do you think that the experience of watching your dad um, gave you fears or positive reinforcement to move <laughs> forward? Um, let's see. Well, watching my dad, you know, it, it definitely gave me the ambition um, to go do it. And and I really, really had fun racing, riding with my dad. And, and we always did those fun rides in Mexico and we would go, you know, <laughs> race ride from Santo Tomas to San Quentin and back and do all that. But, uh, definitely had the respect of the bike and the fear of crashing for sure. But, uh, uh, we just had a special guest come in, sit down with us, Danny Duncan. Um, the, one of the founders of the ATV industry, you know, sir. <laughs> uh, and Danny Prather shares his name. So yeah. and Danny, and uh, he just came to, to sit in and, and uh, maybe add some spice to our conversation, uh, you know, jump in whenever he can <laughs> um, go on with the story about riding with your dad in Mexico. Yeah. I mean, we, we uh, just always went as family trips down to Mexico race, uh, you know, before the race and I'd go pre-run with them and pre-running with my grandpa and my dad and Ricky Stater and all that. It always just gave me that um, drive to want to go race the races myself and have my own team, you know, and, and just, but I raced with them for a few years too. I raced with my dad and I was able to race with, uh, Ricky Stater and, and with Sam Coe and my dad. We did, uh, for about four years from 96 to 2000. I did not know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I raced from 97, 98, and 99 with my dad and Ricky Stater. That's a memory. You yeah. Yeah. You can't, and we had priceless. Some, yeah. It was awesome, you know, and pre running with them and going down and just doing all the logistics stuff with them, you know, was, was just a, you're learning from old wizards that are, that's priceless. Yeah. Ricky was, uh, from what I hear, I never got to participate with him in in Baja or any races ever just to get to hear stories of that. He was, he was a legend. He was a a great rider too. He's so smart, you know, and, uh, just really, he's always supported me in my racing efforts. I mean, he was my biggest sponsor probably the whole time I raced, you know, as far as the company and just, well, you're still affiliated with the company from what I see, uh, on certain things that you have, you know, Ricky Stater stickers always. Oh yeah. Yeah. We always, we're on the, my, me and my brother are able to be on their website, you know, so we, we, we helped him out do some promotion stuff and, and they always, Patty was such a huge help, uh, sponsoring us with, Whatever we needed, you know, uh, in the last, last 10 years of our racing. So, uh, even after Ricky passed. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, she, she helped us out and, and, uh, that was, it was just real, real special to have, have, they're like family to us, you know, right. uh, over, they, they live in the same town and my mom worked with them and, and everything. So it's a good time. And you stopped racing. In, why? Uh, well, 2015 Vegas, Vegas to Reno. I mean, we, we, we had the number one plate. We were, we were, we got second place in the first three rounds of that series. Uh, and, uh, so we knew we had to meet, I was racing with Dave Scott and I knew we had to win Vegas to Reno that year to, uh, to get the championship or have any hopes. And Jeff Hancock and Matt Hancock had put in a huge effort in 2015 and, uh, they just, they really came out swinging and we, um, we, we were riding as hard as we could that year. And, you know, it was everything I could do to get second place behind those guys. And, uh, we had some mechanicals or just little things, you know, that come up, you know, uh, in a few of the races. And, uh, it was a great race. We, we led the race for 450 miles. Um, we were out front, you know, kind of within a one to five minute lead on the second place guys and having a great ride. And, um, we built a heavy horsepower bike that would do 90, 92 mile an hour on the dirt. And, um, it started running hot towards the end when we got some silt in it and, and up in the, the elevation. And, uh, so we were kind of fighting those issues with overheating and, um, what ultimately caused us to fall back was a swing arm pivot bolt broke coming into, uh, gabs up by pit, pit 10 up there. And, uh, so I went from first to fifth place in one pit changing a pivot bolt. And, uh, so I got the pivot bolt back in and, uh, caught back up to second place past a few guys and coming into second, um, coming into pit, like 12 or something up by Fallon, Nevada. I, I had passed Robbie Cockrell coming into the pit and, uh, I was kind of in a rush and came into the, to the, I, I grabbed, I ended up pulling into a bod is a Baja pits and I had guys at the same pit, but I was in such a adrenaline rush. I just pulled into the first guys that waved me in. So Baja, Baja pits gave me fuel and I watched Robbie pass. Like he didn't even get gas. So I left that pit, uh, just on hellbound to, to pass this guy. Cause I knew we were going to get into some single track rollers where it was really hard to pass for the next 30 miles. And I knew I had the speed and, and the equipment to get by him. So I just turned it up and, uh, you know, I, I knew I had to get by him to catch Jeff and Matt. So, um, about a mile, I caught, he, he probably had 30 seconds on me leaving the pit and I caught him within a mile and, uh, we were going through some chop, some pretty heavy cross grain that was going through, um, from big rains that they had. And, um, uh, I ended up seeing his helmet and I could kind of focus on his helmet through the dust. And, and I was really riding over my head to try to pass him. And I saw, I saw his helmet disappear and I just pulled a NASCAR maneuver, which I normally, I never would do, but I, I ended up just twisting the throttle instead of the hitting the brake pedal. And I, um, I, well, the dust cleared and he, I could see him go through this gully and it was about a 15 foot long washout that crossed the road. It was about three foot deep, you know, square edge on the other side. And I, um, I just pulled everything I could and tried to wheelie across it. And I cased it on the other side and it ended up flipping me around backwards and landed on the back tires going backwards and just spit me off into the rocks. And, uh, I broke my arm in three places and punctured a lung, broke three ribs and tore up my leg a little bit. And, uh, 
rung my bell pretty hard and I sat there and uh for a minute and Trent Kendall came up and and was nice enough to get me dig me out of the dirt and he got me back on the bike got the bike flipped over and I really was considering just leaving and going to the next pit on the bike but the bike was pretty banged up and I could still see the pit where I just came from so I ended up uh going back to the pit and and uh I was pretty hurt and I didn't realize I broke anything yet but uh luckily there was a trophy truck team that had an EMT there that kind of wrapped me up and got me got me situated and uh but yeah, that was pretty rough. I ended up not going to the hospital like a dingus, you know, and, and went to the hospital back in San Diego, after, <laughs> like two days later. And, uh, after a few beers and a, a few ibuprofen, I was, I was okay feeling, but, uh, I got really dehydrated and, and really, um, I was really messed up from not taking care of myself earlier from the wreck and uh so it took a long time for them to get like ivs going and getting me dialed in and and uh but pretty much what why i'm not racing anymore is just watching my kids come into the hospital and see me and that you know all hooked up and (laughs) in a bad how many children place i got two kids ava and Allie, and uh eight and six but they were young then they were probably uh like one and four three or something so they were crying and just seeing you know it was just they didn't understand they didn't know what was going on i was okay you know i was all right just a couple broken bones but uh you know after that i just figured hey i need to take it easy for a little bit (laughs) get a roll cage maybe (laughs) or uh do something different but i i still ride an atv and do that um but I'm not, I'm not racing. But you still work in the, in the industry yeah. doing tire balls for, yeah. um, specific yeah, doing UTV the, teams and yeah. ATV teams. Yeah. We do most of the top ATV and UTV teams in the West coast. And a lot of the, you know, truck teams are starting to do stuff in class 10 and different classes, uh, for score and best of the desert. So that's been really cool to be kind of involved in the industry still and be able to work with all the guys that I looked up to or, or raced with, you know, so it's kind of helped with those relationships. Does it give you a different perspective going from rider to sponsor? For sure. For sure. That's probably the biggest change I've noticed, you know, just the respect level I've had, I repre- I, I appreciate the guys that, that put in the effort and, and do that. And I, we always tried to with our sponsors, but, um, you know, just seeing that level of, or that the other side of it, you know, and just being able to, um, help the guys and help the teams, but also the race wins, not always the most important. Right. Yeah. And having a good record, having a good attitude and having a good presence and, and, and that's, you know, take what care we look your, at. Take yeah. care of your fans. Yeah. Take care of the people that take care of you. Exactly. And yeah. that will rise you to a higher level, even if you're not number one. Right. Yeah. It's not always the number one guy that, that, uh, gets the support either. And we learned that racing, you know, there's sometimes it was the guy that had the, the, you know, that was just the most social online or, you know, now they're with Facebook and, or in Instagram and all these other social media, social yep. media stuff. It's, it's kind of, um, you know, it's cool to see it's changed the industry a little bit, you know, it's, it, it's not as so much the race results or so much of the magazine articles and, it, and it's, those things, it's coverage. You know, it's yeah. coverage. It's content. The more fans you have, the yeah. more subscribers you have, the more right. people that follow you, the more people want to be tied to you. Yeah. Because they're going to get recognition. 
Yeah. I mean, I wish we had it early on when we were racing. I think it would have helped us, you know, because just having that extra exposure would have gotten us more support. I think, you know, it's, it's not that it's easy for guys now, but somebody without the talent can do it with, with, uh, a bunch of followers, you know what I mean? Or it might get support, you know, in that regard, but, um, well, you have to learn how to do social media, which for us yeah. old guys, oh, yeah. it's, you know, if you got, white, if you got white hair right now, it's a struggle. And yeah. I got a lot of white it's hair. a whole other skill set. <laughs> so, but uh, it's great. You know, I love, I love being involved with this industry. I've, I've got a lot of respect for guys like you, uh, you know, and your family and, just everything you guys have done for our sport, you know, so to be able to continue kind of staying in this without. I, I can tell you this, Danny, I, I've admired you for a long time as the writer that you are. And, and, the, and I always wanted to be the guy that got to build your bikes or to be on your team. And, and unfortunately for us, it never worked out. You know, I mean, mm. we, we were on opposite sides a few times and uh, we raced against each other a couple of yeah. times, but unfortunately <laughs> we never got to work closely. Together. No, I really wish I could have. I definitely ridden a few Duncan bikes and boy, they're, they're fast, man. Especially, uh, you know, a couple of Craig's bikes and a couple, you know, Simmons and those guys, you know, that you've, that you've built, uh, really great bikes. And, um, it's cool do to work you, with you. Do you, you on still do any, side. uh, testing on the side for yeah. specific teams? Um, because you, know, you do have a good feel for the machine. Yeah. I know you've done some, you've done actually done some test riding for me. Yeah, that, you that just was mentioned. cool. Yeah, that was a good time. And, uh, you know, we've done it for a few teams, but nobody really consistently. We've done some prep and done some, uh, race builds that for some, some Mexican guys down, down south. But, um, most of our stuff is just, just Towerball related right now that, um, you know, the UTV stuff's kind of blown up. So we've kind of, focused on on that side of the business thing since and that um, simmons bike did win the race yeah yeah right so hey <laughs> I, it won the race the next weekend right yep. after i rode it yeah yep. and i knew it worked great man that thing all butt too and so. didn't you tell me it wouldn't pull a 15 tooth counter pocket? <laughs> i didn't think it would but being able to pull it in the sand wash like it did uphill uphill in the wet yeah, sand no it ripped it ripped it and i think those guys proved it that next weekend oh right? they it was awesome <laughs> yeah it no, was it awesome. Was set up you know you gave them a good good package and and uh and they went out and did it yeah yeah and that's all you can do right as a builder or as a sponsor is give them your best your best effort and, and then it's on them right <laughs> well i'm sure that alan can attest to this when you when you put all the time in and you build that machine you know i know my dad's built some machines and and they're just as good as you can make them and then yeah you put this young man out there on there and he goes and does things with your machine that you never imagined can happen <laughs> Yeah, or they bring yeah. it back in a box and you're like, how did you break it? <laughs> yeah, this part was indestructible. I've my pro riders never broken that. How do you break this right away? But I know I've seen some... it, it is amazing. I've had guys that never <laughs> never broke anything, and I've had guys that just destroyed destroyed shit. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely have seen that too. Just certain riders are super hard on equipment or it's just, think, I think it's just the way they ride, you know. You and Dave were pretty easy on most of yeah. your equipment. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were real similar riding style, similar weight, you know, 200 pounds, trying to get stuff on a nice desert bike. Dave. But <laughs> yeah, maybe 210. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little higher. Yeah, 215, I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, he came from the Christie's team, and, and there were some bigger boys on that team. Yeah. Well, sometimes it takes a big boy to hold a quad down, you know? Sometimes. <laughs> I, I, I was seen a little heavy boys. when I raced. Yeah, Alan White back in the day, man. He, that dude on a Lobo was, like, out of control. When, he, we, when, when we raced that six, yeah. uh, 660, he was 275. Yeah. But he knew how to throw it. Travis Dillon, yep. even Wayne Mallock. I mean, he was a big boy, you know? So there's definitely been some big riders throughout the years that are... <laughs> It's not just about finesse. Sometimes it is about just throwing it in there and throwing it in the turn and, and wide open, you know, but, uh, exactly. You have to be able to hold the machine down. Yeah. You know, I was when, when I raced desert, I rode a bigger machine and I was a bigger guy mm-hmm. and it pounded through some of that, those, those whoops and the, oh, yeah. the G outs, no issues just Momentum. because it was so heavy. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even back off. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it didn't, it didn't go through the little stuff as good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a give and take. I mean, we, it's hard to set up a bike for different riders with different weights too. I mean, we, we've kind of had luckily mostly like in Baja, you get five different guys that ride different or have different weight, you know, different, they sit different on the bike. They have different well, riding. Cap was angles. a little guy compared yeah. to everybody else. You know what? Yeah, 160 was, soaking wet. You know, yeah, him and Levi were pretty close in weight. And then me and Mark, I'd say we're close, but you know, it just kind of, everybody has to deal with the different bike. I always got the bike when it was worn out or barely hanging on, you know, falling apart thousand miles in <laughs> so, because you could, they knew you were going to get it to the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> uh, in 2000 in, uh, gosh, I'm scratching my brain. 2009, we went all the way down to, the, the tip. Uh-huh. Uh, did we went past La Paz? Oh, in Cabo. We yeah, went to Cabo, and yeah. you brought it in with one yeah. gear. Yeah, two thousand seven. Yeah, two thousand seven. Yeah. Well, Wayne. Well, actually, so that race, Wayne Matlock had had the issue. He he was in fourth gear the whole time. Oh, well, so so that was the race that Mike Caffra, I was telling you, ran, ran out of gas and had to run You're back. Right. right. So we he we had our problems early, and uh, he uh, Wayne had like a two hour lead on us at for the majority of the middle part of that race and and all the guys did really good i ended up getting the bike about an hour and a half down from from wayne matlock like we had like 400 350 miles to go so i rode that last last section and and uh but they they had problems i think they were stuck in third or fourth gear for okay. quite a while yeah, somebody they had third, third third fourth and fifth or something they couldn't go down or, or it was something but I tell you, I chased Harold all the way to Toto Santos and finally passed him in Toto Santos. And, and he was ripping for being stuck in one gear, but definitely was holding him back on the wide open stuff. But, you know, that's how racing is. You know, some teams have the problems early. Some don't have them late. Some don't have any, you know, and can win a race. But you can race that same race a hundred times and have oh, yeah. a different issue. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Yeah, you're fighting terrain and and locals and and the bike itself and that and part just, that was made on yeah. Monday instead of when Wednesday. Right. Yeah. You, who knows when parts are going to time out? You know, it's really hard. And we luckily we raced the same machine. I raced an 05 for so long that we kind of knew when things were going to time out or you know. Uh, that's when still to my replace, preferred. That's know. still my preferred build for the desert. Yeah, is mine a, too. Is an 05. Yeah, 2005 bike TRX 450 was just a. Really reliable, bulletproof, and you could build them. Build. I mean, I I rode yours had you know the big the the big bore you know four uh, seventies and those bigger bigger motors. They really just rip, and that that transmission is real reliable, and uh, the clutch was strong, clutch strong, and the good, head good suspension, strong. good a arms, and you know the geometry on the spindles and everything. 
was what like you guys do, you know, putting those those components on the newer bikes, you know. Yeah, well, you run the old 405 spindles, get it turned better. Yeah. You know, you run the old 405 linkage because the rear shock, in my opinion, right. works better. Yeah. It's a little, a little shorter, turns a little wetter, you know, it's got a little less, little Well, most more of our desert travel. bikes, we run a uh, 06 link swing arm okay. with an 0405 linkage uh, because it stays straighter in the whoops. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Just tracks. Yeah. Wide open. Yeah, we would switch it up from race to race from different parts. All the little tricks and all the little... You can only build the Mona Lisa so many times. <laughs> I know. I look at all these guys now and it seems like it's been replicated so many times. But, you know, there's so many versions that can be kind of, you know, paint combos and different things that they all have their own character, you know. And, and It's the different guy. It's yeah. the different engine builder yeah. that makes the build. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's some guys that have been, we've been watching build bikes for 10 years, 12 years, and still are making the same. same. And they've tried every <laughs> engine guy or every chassis guy, and they're still yeah. having an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you go with guys that are reliable, like Duncan or, you know, the other uh, CT or, you know what I mean? We would go with... <laughs> With proven people that would help us, and same thing with product, you know, like Roll Design and Elka, and just those those things that. Like, well, you have a desert legend in Doug Roll who, yeah. you know, yeah, he knows. Uh, I yeah. think he teased on on Desert Rocks <laughs> as, as a young guy. I think so. Uh, <laughs> back in the day when I was just a kid, when I still had blonde hair, yeah, uh, you know, long blonde hair, and and that guy was a legend then, and yeah. and the knowledge that he. You just sit down and have a five minute conversation with a guy and yeah. you're blown away because you're always learning something. I used to love testing with Doug. We'd go out, you know, with Elka for a week or something in Ocotillo and just, he would make me pound whoops for eight hours a day. It didn't matter. He didn't care how hot it was, whatever. You know what I mean? Like we would just ride over and over and over until he, he was happy with it. It didn't matter. Uh, it, but I, he would build us the best, you know what I mean? And then change it and change it. Yeah. And it would get better every time. I got a, a very unique experience. I got invited to go to the race in Canada. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I got to work with the Elka engineers right on site. And Doug roll was kind of heading the whole deal. And Bo Baron was testing his shocks and I was testing the shocks on the Yamaha. Mm. And you got to figure I'm, this is way past my retirement portion. Uh -huh. And there was a, a kicker, an edge that they made us hit. Uh -huh. And, and, and I was very, I was very blessed to watch Bo do it uh -huh. so that I could ride my Yamaha over this edge. And I was scared to death. Yeah. And, uh, when we were all done, Bo, Bo goes, wow, you can ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was pleasantly surprised. I'm sure. Oh, uh, well, I was, things. you know, a little rounder than I am now and, <laughs> and out of shape and, and just, so ecstatic to even be there and yeah and to have the experience was, was my first phenomenal. experience with that was like i i went down to akatia wells and elko was down there with roll and everybody and and it, they it was kind of the same scenario but i it was doug eichner was riding testing one of the first setups with elka roll design on the 04 honda right and uh yeah. We were on a Yamaha testing for Temecki Motorsports, but uh, being with, with both of those guys and just watching Doug and, and kind of learning what the feedback he was giving the guys and just paying attention to what he was looking for and what he was trying to hit or, you know, it really helped us kind of develop our stuff and, and me to kind of know what, what the guys were looking for, you know, and, and watching those legends like Doug or, you know, yeah, Greg Rowe, all these other guys that I've raced with, you know, that's just taught me so much. And I think 
we try to pass that along with the other teams that I always shared our, not, not, you know, there was always stuff that we didn't share, but we always tried to kind of give our other, our other teammates or competitors similar stuff. We didn't want to be racing somebody that we had didn't inferior get, we, stuff, I don't give but, all yeah. of our secrets yeah, away. Yeah. I mean, there's engine things that we all do that are such and such. Yeah. But I always felt that if we're there and that guy needs my help, I'm going to help. Yeah. And it doesn't exactly. matter. We can be in first, we can be in 50th. It doesn't matter. That yeah. guy, that guy, that guy's going to help me when I need yeah, it. Yeah. And I may win the race because <laughs> of his help. That's right. So I'm going to help him. Yeah. Even if it means that I got second that day. Yeah. Yeah. One year Vegas to Reno, uh, I was leading out front and then all of a sudden everybody got lost and, uh, I'm ripping down this dirt road and, and we're maybe a hundred miles into the race. And, uh, all of a sudden I see motorcycles passing me coming head on, you know, like they're coming, everybody's looking for the track. And, uh, so I came around this corner and there's Josh Rowe had came head on with the, one of the bikes and, uh, the guy, you know, he was, he was messed up. He broke his arm and his bone was sticking out. So I had to stop, you know, so I stopped and helped him and I took off my tool bag and we, me and Josh fastened like a full on like uh splint for this guy. We put his, we, we reset his arm in the desert and put splints and zip ties around his arm to hold this guy's arm on. And then we put him on his bike and pushed him out of the desert and he wanted to ride. He wanted to ride it out. So he rode it out to the pit, but we got him going, you know? And so after he got him going, I looked down and Josh's bike was just in a ball. The Nerf bar was all up in the fender. And so I help him get the Nerf bar out. I mean, we spent like 15 minutes, 20 minutes trying to fix his bike. And finally I'm like, Hey dude, I got to go. <laughs> well, here's my tools. I just left him my tools, all my whole, my tool pack. I'm just like, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have left all my tools. Here we are hundred miles into a race, but you know, hey, I figure, well, if I, <laughs> if I Karma's need, gonna come Karma's going to come back. Maybe he'll stop for me. If I need the tools, he'll give them back to me, you know? But, uh, so we ended up, now was Garen Fuller raced with uh, Brandon Brown and they, okay. they had a good lead. They had a 20 minute lead when we finally came, we all finally found the race course again. And, uh, uh, we came out, we were 20 minutes down, like in seventh place or something. And, uh, so we just started put our head down, me and Dave put our heads down and, and ended up catching everybody. And up into the last, like probably the last 80 miles, I, I rode harder than I've ever rode down a dirt road. Garen Fuller was on my butt and we were probably about 15 seconds apart. And I knew that like I had to give the bike to, jo to, to Dave with a, at least 30 seconds on Garen. And then that would put us ahead of him on time, you know? So I gave him the bike. We had a 35 second lead and I'm like, dude, just go. You got to dig deep, you know? And Brandon jumped on the bike and, uh, and Dave took off and on our bike and, uh, we, we won by 20 seconds that race after 600 miles, 580 miles or something. We won by 20 seconds. I lost Vegas Torino by 26 <laughs> yeah. seconds. I know how that feels. So Especially when you're yeah. across the finish line and they tell you, we yeah. think you won by four seconds <laughs> and they come back and tell you, oh, by the way, you yeah. lost by yeah. 26. Oh. And you're watching the clock and you're looking at your time and who's coming. And, oh, man, it's so nerve wracking, you know, and on both sides of it when you're losing it or winning it because I've done both. You know, I've I, think Matt, I think Matlock on the Suzuki got uh, third that race. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, I, somebody time. asked me one time, you know, we were talking about Matlock and I, and I go, I beat that guy. And they go, no <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I, yeah. 
I mean, when he was first coming in, I had a faster machine and he was in an ex- uh, learning how to make a, a Z400 work. And, yeah. and it, no, I can't even come close to riding as fast as that guy now. The equipment was better. Yeah. I just had a little bit better bike and I had a great partner and we, you know, we yeah. got, we got lucky. No, hey man, you, you worked hard for it. You know, That's we did. We is. did. Uh, you could, earned it. You know? Could I even come close to any of you guys? No. Oh yeah, dude. Well, I, 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 I was, chased you through the desert. You're but I don't, but I when you chase me on that I've never seen a guy ride with no gloves Lenny that that could hang on to a bike as long as you could I when I that oh one two uh Vegas 1000 you came in at the end of the day and I just looked at your hands you didn't have a blister or anything nope you were just no gloves I I was blown away man so ever since that day I've had I was like so much respect for you (laughs) just to be able to hold on to a bike like that I put gloves on I get on pump so I don't I don't do it yeah yeah yeah, you gotta feel the bike right (laughs) so Danny if people want to get a hold of you where do they go uh, yeah, you can go to tireballs.com or Pratha Racing and uh, hit me up and, you know, whatever. On Facebook. You Facebook, and- yeah, Danny Prather, Danny.Prather on Instagram. And, um, yeah. And you, you'll do tireballs for them, no problem? Yeah. Race prep, tireballs, whatever they need. Excellent. Some advice. Is it mostly UTVs or is it just? Plus uh, the race prep is ATVs and then the, the tire ball stuff has been mostly UTVs, uh, as of late. You know, just we've, we've had some really good, good success with some top teams in Baja and Best of the Desert with them and really good reliability. So I'd say we have 30 guys in Best of the Desert running our stuff and, and, and probably about the same in score. So. Got some really good good partnerships that we work with the military and do other stuff and development. So good time. Well, I just wanted I I just want to say I really appreciate you coming out. And, uh, that that that's Sorry. the dogs, you know. <laughs> Hope everybody enjoyed that little yeah. little stint there. Yeah. Hey, uh, I really want to say thank you for coming to oh, ATV Talk and sitting down with me and, and telling me a little bit about. I hope you'll come back and for sure and uh, yeah. spend some more time with us. <laughs> uh, next time you come, bring your dad. I'd really oh, yeah. like to okay. sit down and, and hear some stories from yeah, him. That'd be great. Yeah, um, he definitely has some stories for sure. Uh, well, I want to I want to get him here with with Greg Rowe oh, and yeah. Alan Fox, and that'd be a great time. And, and and hear some of the stories that they all can tell. Yeah, because if that's before. I mean, I was there, but I wasn't there like I am now. Yeah, Barstow to Vegas races and all those. Oh, those, just things you know. that were way before my time. Yeah, or I wasn't even in it then. Yeah. Well, you guys were doing short course stuff probably back then. We were motocrossing mostly, yeah. yes. Yeah. Most of the time. I love the desert family. It's great to be, you know, with involved with so many good people and, and like yourself and just uh, really enjoy working with everybody with tire balls and doing all that. And Yeah, I can't wait and, to tease uh, Greg so. because the only picture I have of him <laughs> is him behind me. <laughs> I have a picture, though. Duncan did sponsor me. And I need to send you this picture. Well, it's please. on my toolbox. I meant to grab it on the way down here, but I'll send it. Send a picture of it later I'd, today. I appreciate. I got my 250R fresh Duncan graphics. Got a Duncan banner in the back of my garage, and you guys did help me for for one year. And uh, so that was 2000 because I had a full Timmy Boy bike, you know, Timmy Boy chassis, and this t- is archaic. TBR. Yeah, so. It was a while ago, but I did ride for Duncan for a little bit. That's awesome. So, <laughs> Thanks again, I Danny. I really good. want to say thank you. I appreciate you stopping yeah, by. and appreciate the time, man. And thank uh, you. we'll let you know when this releases and uh, okay. so that you can uh, Check listen to our interview. Yeah, we'll share it. All right, buddy. Thank you <laughs> thank so you. much. Thank you, Lenny. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a little after hours here with, with the advice from uh, Danny Duncan. 
One of the things on sponsoring a guy, uh, most everybody seems to think that they should be sponsored. Yeah. But as a you know guy that pays the bills, how many customers do they bring in? I don't care if if you know what's going on. Uh, if they win races or don't, they're bringing any customers because right. that's one of the reasons that you sponsor them. Yeah, you're in it for- to help them. They're supposed to help you. Yeah, and uh, uh, some writers uh, don't seem to think that. And, yeah, uh, the whole idea is to is to. Uh, Bring in some sell customers parts. so yeah, you can make some money so you can sell parts yeah. and uh, service and whatever. If, if you're not selling parts for me, yes, uh, referrals or some kind of sales. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you want some something either for a guy to stop by and say, hey, uh, I I seen so and so out there. Uh, yeah, with a Duncan motor or Duncan pipe or yeah. something. Yeah, you're looking for that referral, and that's kind of. You know, being with Tireball stuff now is being seeing that, you know, where it's not just the the guys that have the race results. If they don't do any kind of support or any kind yeah, of... If they don't mention you your know, name yeah, or... If, they, uh, if you're not seeing the post on social right, media. Or tagging you or doing that. I mean, it is difficult to have any of those return referrals or any of that. I mean, that's what we we all... Or the industry needs, you know, and they need that referral to keep sponsoring the next team and the next. Well, if you don't take care of your sponsors, you're not going to have any sponsors because these are the guys that get you to the race, whether you believe it or not. Most people don't realize that if you get sponsored, you actually are getting paid because that sponsor is taking money out of his pocket and giving you product, even a discount. Even a discount. And that's why I was mm. always so happy to just whatever we got from sponsors. But even a discount, you're still the, the, the company's losing that 30 or 40 percent, you know, of profit. That's, I mean, that's all. That's what keeps the lights yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it is them like paying you in, in a sense, you know. It really is. Yeah, I agree with that 100 percent. Yes. Yeah. And. and- <laughs> uh, uh, I, I my dad, Danny. Duncan here uh, taught us as we were growing up, you know, because I got to see the rigid 9110 three wheeler racing. <laughs> and you, you come from an era of guys that, you know, there was, there was nothing. There was nobody but a few engine builders and we were using lawnmower tires and, and, uh, at the time, Mitchell Wheels. Right. Yeah, you guys developed. You know, all you guys that started back in the in those early days have all just contributed to the development of the machines themselves. Because I mean, a lot of these companies, like the, the the factories, look at the race machines as their improvement for the next year. You know, and well, uh, yeah, because when we started out, and you know, stuff was stock, and uh, everybody's trying to figure a way to. Yeah. I, mean, I like to just. Bigger pistons, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more power, more yeah. suspension, better handling, gets you quicker around the track. Yeah. Well, hey, when you're riding a rigid, it's a little tough to get yeah, better yeah. suspension. Yeah. Yeah, those oh, those like first air pressure. <laughs> those first nineties was was something. <laughs> <You> seat cushion. <laughs> 
one of the things that when early on and guys had come in and they'd have all these decals on their bike because people used to give away decals. Now they sell them. But, but, and, and I asked, well, how, how much is he giving you? What, what are you getting from that guy? And he says, if they ain't giving me something, I ain't putting decal on my stuff, you know? And uh, that way, if a guy's got a decal, it means something. Yeah, yeah. It's not just a logo. It's it's, it's, it's their helping support the brand and how the brand is supporting them, you know? Yeah, it. Uh, well, they, those decals came in the box, so I put them on the bike. <laughs> or hey, put it's them great in, for advertisement, you know. But for you, you paid for, for that well, retail. You guys keeping that logo, that Fat Boy logo on there is definitely, you know, that's it's oh, advertisement. Yeah, it is it's advertisement. Going, you know, yep. So. Even the retail market, you know, a lot of them, I, I give a small discount to a great guy. You know, good guys get 10, 15 percent off. Well, your, re, so. your return customers, you yeah. always do a little extra service exactly. for them because you need to do. Yeah, because they deserve it because yeah, they're telling their buddies and they're doing this and they're supporting you and your product. And, and they're they're keeping that pipe on there with that logo. I mean, you know what I mean? They're showing off their buddies and social media, you know. It's a big part of it too. Now social media is a huge portion of it, and and your customer service, and which I learned from the master over here, you take care of those people. Yeah, you yeah. You, you. I mean, you, you go the extra mile. Yeah, never do anyone dirty, and you always just do everything you can to keep them happy, and and but stand by your your product too. You know, okay. whether if there's a warranty issue or a production issue, you know, you take stand by your own product too. You stand by and you stay late. You come yeah. in early. You come in on your on the, on the day when you're closed to meet somebody oh, yeah. Yeah. To, to pick a machine up or deliver a yeah, machine. Go the extra mile, and that's what keeps the people coming back. And especially in a time like we have now, seeing that you guys are busy and I, you know, Tire Balls is doing really well, and uh, it's it's just good to see that you know it's more than just that presence online it's it's word of mouth and all these other guys you know spreading the word i i you know i remember uh, craig christie's commenting to me you know we're there on a sunday evening and i'm offloading his bike after he raced a score race and he's on his way home and he's like nobody meets you at seven o'clock on a yeah. on a sunday night to drop something off oh, no. you know and, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so constantly proud. doing that, having guys drop tires at 10 o'clock and <laughs> whatever it is. I've whatever done it. it takes, I've left know. them in your driveway. Yeah, you know, whatever it takes. So. Slid them underneath the motor home <laughs> of the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. There they are. I took a picture and sent it to you. you so know, that goes both ways. I, I would do whatever it took to get somebody to the race as long as they took treated me well. You know, I'm going to treat them well. So and that's just what comes around goes around in business and this industry is small and trying to keep it, you know. Good well, aim and everything is, is good. You, the, the small industry, you know, there's guys that, you know, Bob's dealt with that the generations, they're still there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they don't maybe do the same thing, but the, the, they're still around. Right. Yeah. Yeah, several businesses that we do business with, we're dealing with the grandson now yeah, instead of the father. <laughs> I dealt with the father and... Uh, uh, or the grandfather. I'm sure people think that when they call your shop too, you know. I have customers that, that, that when they rolled in. Dealt with you back in, you know. Yeah. And, well, your dad built my dad and grandfather this. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I, I remember those. I, I, I was there. <laughs> yeah, it's really neat. It's a special, you know, it keeps keeps that coming. You know, it's not too many multi-generation companies out there. So it's really cool. We were talking the other night about the first uh, 90s three-wheelers. 
Well, I went to a dealer show because I worked for Valley Motorcycle at the time, and we went to a dealer show, and they rolled that thing on. Who the hell would want to <laughs> ride something thing? like that? It's <laughs> not a motorcycle. <laughs> no, I, you know, and then um, they did Joe the- Phillipson was the parts guy at, at Valley at the time, and he wore out a set of tires just wheeling up and down in front of the shop. And uh, then it, they were saying, uh, it doesn't have any power. So we got a little more power. And, and then Tommy, the owner, got a little pissed because he says, they expect it to be that powerful when they get, when they buy their own, you know. Right. Yeah. But uh, a lot of fun. And then, then that came out. And I think that came out in uh, the 007 Diamonds Are Forever. I believe oh, that's the movie. I, I, I've been going to go back and do the research so that so that I'm not telling people to go watch the wrong movie. Yeah, but yeah. they wrote them out on the beach in Pismo. I Pismo. remember that. Yeah. And, and, you know, they had a blue yeah. one, a red one, and yeah. a green one. Yeah. You know, oh, they're yes. doing all of 30 miles an hour, if that, <laughs> shooting guns at each other. Well, guys, you can, <laughs> you can damn near walk faster. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Death machines. <laughs> but they, they, oh. they came a long way, though, you know, from yeah. where they were back in oh. 79 or when was the first 1969, the first, the first, the first one hit the shores. Really? Oh. Yeah. I couldn't remember what, what year. Did I just produce? know. I was four years old. The reason I remember this, because I remember the story and I have vague visual memories of it. Dad brings home a green one and we have a lower property and we're riding around. So he gets smart. Okay. This is back when you didn't wear helmets, when you rode a three wheeler. (laughs) So wear your helmet when you ride your ATVs or your motorcycles, just wear your helmets. Yeah. Um, and he's giving me a, a ride. I'm four years old. My grandmother and mom are standing on the porch watching us, and Pops rolls the thing over on his back. He's upside. He's on his back. I was trying to crawl over a log. <laughs> he's on his back with his feet on the pegs, hands on the handlebars, holding it up so I can so, crawl out. Oh, yeah, holding it up. You know, and he pops it, pushes it back over on the wheels, and, and you know, here we are today, yeah. so many, so many years later. Uh, no, did I ever see this coming? Right. No. I mean, the machines have just came so far, you know, especially the U- the new UTV stuff. I mean, that stuff's came a long way since 10 years ago. You know? Well, uh, what I, I was very fortunate. I was with Doug Eichner in, I believe it was Wisconsin or Minnesota. I don't remember. Uh, at Polaris, the factory where they had the 800. <laughs> and they, I didn't drive it, um, but Doug did. And they said, hey, you got to take it easy and don't go. Doug takes off and does exactly what they tell him not to do. <laughs> and he's ripping the thing around and, and he gets out. That's a lot of fun. That's awesome. <laughs> and, you know, it's half the size now of what they are and right. half as powerful. And the suspension, I don't think, worked. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, you get to see from the rigid three-wheeler where we started. Yeah. To look at the suspension we have now, yeah. you know, I mean, that but a lot of it's driven by companies like you, you know, that build those aftermarket bikes and building those race machines. And, and then that just turns into, you know, progression. So well, I remember I was very fortunate to be involved with uh, Yamaha, factory Yamaha coming to our shop. And, you know, there's 10 guys with clipboards and we got a Yamaha sitting on the stand at one of our race bikes. And they're asking us why we did this and why we did that. And, uh, 
I was a newbie enough to where I just was brutally honest with what I said. So that might not have been so good. Um, but then Honda came and bought a couple machines from us. Oh, really? Right. Uh, yeah. Lobos. Nice. You know, um, the guy that up in Ramona, uh, I can't think of his name, Chris. Barrow. Will the uh, I don't remember what it is he's got a company that does UTVs up in uh, Ramona. Oh really? Oh yeah. And and he uh, he worked for Honda at the time. Oh Chris Hawks Benchmark. Benchmark. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's a smart guy. Yeah. Super smart. Yep. And uh, he came and bought uh, some Lobos from us uh, for Honda to do some development work. I don't know whatever happened to it or where it ever went because you know we were weren't privy to that. Yeah. Um, and I got to go to Polaris factory and, and uh, that, that was a, a, a learning experience, you know, yeah. shut your mouth and, and do as you're told, but you got to tell them, you got to tell them what you need. Yeah. And th- what they had on the stand there wasn't what I needed. Right. Well, they are looking at the reliability and the insurance and the liability part of it, you know? Uh, yeah. The factories don't, bikes, so. the, the factories don't build race bikes. They build recreational bikes that we get, that we race. It's pretty cool. When we raced uh, 2001, 2000, yeah, 2001, I raced with the Bombardier team with Greg Rowe and Dean and Sundahl and Wayne Malik. But they based the Baja X off of our race bikes. The, the version of our of the DS650 was kind of, you know, it had the foot peg loops over the, so your feet didn't fly off. And it had some different stuff that our race bikes had. So it was kind of neat to see them kind of take our feedback or look at our bikes and you know, Honda's done that with a, with Carmen Caffrey's XR650 bike that Roll Design built. Before yeah. they built the 700 XX, they they were looking super close at Carmen's and, and at Scat Tracks bike and different things. But I remember the engineers just hovering around it, looking at different aspects of it, and trying. So we really thought that 700 XX was going to have a straight axle. I wish it would have. It would have sold. I think so. mint. Yeah, I think so too. I think the IRS was a great um, novelty. Novelty, and it was it was really comfortable to ride, but it was just not quite there. You know, it was a recreational bike. It yeah, was not it's a, a great rec- it's a great bike for the border patrol. Like we see them using that all the time. Um, comfort, weight, load, load capacity, and you know everything like that. And it rips with reverse and everything. It's really a good bike for recreation. But we tried making a race bike, and a lot of people did. I know Wayne had a lot of success on it after. Those last few years in Baja, but um, yeah, Craig Christ, Christie bought one and turned it into a pre runner. Yeah, yeah, put a gas tank, <laughs> put a gas tank in the back, and would get an extra, you know, go 125 miles on it, and yeah, and, and pre run and, and have a great time. And it, you can't, you can't know where a machine's going to go the first time you see it. Yeah, right. The the development, like the O four. Well, the the development of the 06 up 450R, some of it came from the 0405, sure. but it's its own monster with its own needs. Yeah, yeah, different different setup, similar setup. setups, but but different. You know, where we add an oil cooler mm-hmm. and you add, we put dual fan on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it do some things like that. And the suspension is similar. Yeah, you know, yeah, but the motor power, the power delivery is totally yeah, different. Yeah, right. Different gearbox and everything. Yeah, and when you when you crack the throttle, the 06 up does totally yeah, different things than the bar yeah, yeah. yeah, you're like, oh boy, uh-huh. I got a handful today. Yeah, they were great. I, I just we always liked that reliability of the transmission of the 05. It just was 
can't beat it. Yeah, you can't beat it. <laughs> I mean, hey, without so. buying a Baldwin tranny for the for the 06 stuff, you know, or doing something. The 05 was a better, reliable source for us. Same here, and and you know, 2018 and and 2019, best in the desert titles again. On yeah, that, yeah, four, same, five. same stuff. Forty yep. year old bike. Yep, <laughs> twenty five. Yeah, that's the that's the platform that we use to, yeah. to, to go win. You got anything else to say today, Dad? You've run out of stories today. I've run out of stories today. Well, hey, we really appreciate you stepping in and, and sitting with us. Yeah, it's great to talk with you, Danny. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Again, thank you again, Danny, yeah. for coming. Thanks again for Dad stepping in and, and, and talking with us. And uh look for ATV ATV talk and uh we'll we'll get you uh we'll get you back here and, and right. we'll talk again. Thank you again. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.